Hey guys, this is Butch from the Vintage Media Grading Podcast. And before we start, I just want to give a shameless plug to Vintage Media Grading. VMG is your source for grading, authenticating, and slabbing your precious vinyl records. In addition, we offer a host of other services, including cleaning and sticker removal, as well as soft grading, which is a way to get your albums graded, but still allow you to spin your records and listen to your tunes. Come visit us at www.vmgvinyl.com to place your orders, or feel free to contact us at info at vmgvinyl.com. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Episode 10 of Vintage Media Grading, the podcast. I am your host and fellow record collector, Andrew Hoffman. I have today a special guest, John Humphrey, drummer for the 90s alternative rock band, The Nixons and Seether. Most importantly, he is a prolific vinyl record collector. Welcome, John. Nice to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, We also have with us here Butch Harwood. Uh, We have Paul and Chad Brayman from VMG. How are you guys? Excellent. Excited. Great. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a good episode. Um, We're going to be talking uh, a a wide range of music, uh, not just vinyl collecting, but also um, musicianship, things like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so, John, tell us a little bit about your music career. Um, you know, we all know the band, the Nixons and Seether, uh, very uh, prominent bands. And I know when I was uh, going to school and uh, listening to that music, it, it just brings me back to those times. But tell us a little bit about how you got into music and uh, how that's all going for you. Sure. So uh, I've been into music probably longer than I can remember. Uh, my parents were really supportive. They kind of saw this little kid had interest in music. Nobody in my family really are professional musicians or anything like that. But my mom was very supportive. And uh, I had a little portable record player as a kid I used to carry around everywhere. And my introduction to music was, of course, the era of vinyl. So I've always loved vinyl. And uh and from there, you know, she was trying to figure out, you know, what does this kid do? His love for music, you know, all parents uh, started me at piano, which lasted for a little bit. And then I, when I was 12 or 13, you know, I discovered rock music and that all sort of kicked in. At the same time in middle school, I, there was a drum corps and a marching band, which I fell in love with. So the two kind of coincided. I begged my parents for a drum set going from piano to drums. 
and uh, then just kind of just dove in. I was a total band geek, or I did all of that, marching band and, and, and had garage bands all through high school. And uh, then finally, in about, uh, I graduated from uh, high school. There was an audition for a band that was doing really popular in Norman, Oklahoma, where the University of Oklahoma is. And it was the guys from the Nixons. And the Nixons started out really as a college frat party band. It's a cover band. And uh, they were slowly getting into writing their own music. And in the 90s, the goal in the music industry was a band needed a record deal. And so I auditioned, joined the band. We sort of stopped doing covers and started writing our own music, started playing and touring regionally. And um, the, anyone who's not familiar with the Nixon, sort of an alternative rock style of music. And uh, we were signed to MCA. It's kind of a classic story. We had a song. It's the Nixon's biggest song to this day. It's a song called Sister, written by uh, our lead singer. And uh, the song was played on local radio, both uh, here in Oklahoma City and Dallas, Texas. And this we start we had CDs pressed up, not vinyl, unfortunately, but CDs. We sold 15,000 of them on our own, like in a van going around playing shows, playing parties. And labels started to take interest. And uh, at that time, it was MCA that offered the best deal. We signed with MCA. And then we did our first uh, major label album with them in 1994. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I love the Nixons. Um, sister was my gateway to the Nixons. Now, were okay. you involved with the earliest work of the Nixons or did, were they around before? Yeah, they had been around. Covers? Right. They were around for a, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned, they they had it's like a spinal tap thing. I don't know what it is. I've never been the original drummer of any of the bands I've ever been with. It's like the fourth thing. What happened to the other guy? He exploded and there's just a green globule left on the drum. So I don't know. He's gone. He was here and then he's gone. So yes, I was like um, the second or third drummer for the Nixons. And like I said, they had been sort of a cover band up until the point that I joined. Cause I also wanted to get in a band and do it for real. You know, it wasn't, I kind of had made the decision. I, I didn't go to college. I was offered a music scholarship. I didn't even take. <laughs> I really wow. wanted to like, yeah, I, I mean, probably legitimately nuts. But I, I really just I wanted to be in a band, a rock band and, and get a record deal, you know, and the Nixons were looking and had the same goals. So, when you so what was the first? Right, oh, oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm, just, ahead, I'm, I'm curious. I just want to show this is not a joke, actually. Um, this literally was one of uh, when I bought a new uh uh, turntable about two years ago, um, maybe a year and a half ago. This was actually, I think, the first record that hit the turntable. To be honest wow, with you. <laughs> Sister was one of my absolute favorite songs, and it—I I, I won't lie—Sister was the only Nixon song I knew until about a few years ago. Growing up, we grew up all three of us, me, Chad, and Paul, grew up, uh, you know, on the uh, alternative grunge era, ninety-one wow. through ninety-seven. And so Sister was on the radio all the time. It was one of my, you know, top 10 to 20 favorite alternative songs of the era. So when I saw that it was released on, uh, re-released on vinyl, I had to get it. Um, But if you don't mind me asking, when you guys are starting, I know you you, you put Sister out on the original album with Rainmaker, right? Right, right. And then do you know when you're recording the song that we have a hit here? Like, did you know it? No. No, really, we didn't. We didn't. Um, 
there was actually another ballad that we would record later that we were that we were playing in our shows at that time it was a song later on called Sacred Heart. So I remember our manager, I have this vivid memory, he was disappointed we had gone into track what was to become. The album you're talking about is the one I was referencing earlier that sold 15,000. It was an album called Halo, and it had the original verse, version of Sister on it. So we're telling about we'd gone into the studio in between uh, touring some shows. We had a few days off into the studio to record. We've got this brand new song Zach's written. It's a great song. It's about a sister. They're very close. She had moved to California and uh, we're missing each other and it was you know truly a song he he wrote and we felt you know very strongly about it and we wanted to include it on this album we're about to make and release called Halo and I remember our manager was like what happened to Sacred Heart you know like well we recorded this new song we really like you know and that's really what it was um, we didn't know like oh yeah we've got it locked in here we know this is going to happen you know um we took the album full length to several radio stations. Back then, radio stations could take a chance on a local band. And for whatever reason, they had played a couple other tracks off the album, but they kept getting... Sister was just the one that got traction. Uh, program directors really liked the song. Fans loved it live. And then this thing just kind of exploded and had a life of its own. So when we were signed to MCA and decided to re-record a few songs from Halo, do a whole new album with the you know, major label budget, we re-recorded Sister for the for that that album that you just held up, that version of it, FOMA. So FOMA is the first appearance for you, correct, John? I'm on Halo as far as oh, the okay. um, independent release, Rainmaker, that Butch was, was talking about. But Got yeah, it. FOMA was the first major label record for, MC, for the Nixons, and I was on it, yeah. So Halo was not released on vinyl, correct? Right. Not originally. Uh, officially. No. Yeah, 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 officially. I think there was a later release um, yes. independent or something like that. So, okay. Yeah, yeah so, so when we you... were signed to MCA, I mean, we all of us the same age uh, grew up on vinyl. And at the time, CDs were all the thing, right? No one was doing mm -hmm. vinyl. But MCA offered to do a, a small run. They did like 10,000 copies. And they offered to do it. We were all just so excited, man. Like, we're going to be on vinyl. The first time I personally in any band would be on vinyl. And uh, it was really cool. MCA, it's kind of, if you see the label, it's a very unique label they had for a short time in the 90s. They said, what color? We didn't even know that you could do a different color. We're, we were like, uh, they gave us some examples. We're like, that clear is really cool. So we did a clear vinyl. I think it was 10,000 copies that we pressed. And... Uh, yeah, man, we were just excited because nine, you know, in the '90s, vinyl was gone, and mm -hmm. uh, so we were really, really excited that we could do this. Nice. So, so that, that was good, good foresight there, because as a as a collector, that that era, the the '90, the early '90s, mid '90s, particularly, it's like the dead era for vinyl. So any of the yeah. bands that we grew up on. I that vinyl is is it's naturally rarer, more rarer than you know stuff from the sixties, seventies, eighties. So, just getting stuff pressed when it was actually released is awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it's it's quite collectible. Is it? 
I'm not, I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I think so. I mean, maybe you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm a big nostalgia guy. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's cool. And if I find it, which is rare, I mean, you're right. It's rare that I'll find it. I love going to record stores on days off while I'm on tour. And I, I, if I see it, I'll grab it. And, uh, you know, maybe I have nine or 10 copies of it now in varying conditions, some sealed, some open, you know, it's, but I try to grab it, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's kind of hard to find. So how do you go from the Nixons to see there? Tell us that story. Yeah. So the Nixons, uh, disbanded in 2000 and, uh, just kind of one of those things, the band up to that point kind of had run its course. And, um, I went home and uh, tried to kind of figure out what I, my next step was. My wife and I had our first son and I was at home with him. But uh, the, a longtime friend and sound engineer for the Nixons went on to start working with other bands. And he worked with Drowning Pool for a time. And then he started working for Seether. And Seether had put out one album with Wind Up Records. The band, for those that don't know, the band's originally from South Africa. Sean and Dale are, uh, they're U.S. citizens now, but the band's originally from South Africa. And the drummer they had, they were a three-piece, um, didn't want to relocate to the States. I mean, it's pretty amazing. These guys are in their early 20s, leaving family and friends and moving to the United States to try to make their music career happen. Re I mean, they're just young and they leave everything behind and, and their drummer wasn't willing to do that. So Josh Freeze, famous studio drummer, well, drummer for Foo Fighters currently, did the first album recorded uh, in the studio recorded drums for the first album. But anyway, my sound engineer buddy was working for them. They had a couple of hired guns, quote unquote, on tour, that first tour. And it just wasn't fitting. Uh, musically, I think it was okay, but just, you know, the other 22 and a half hours of the day, you're living on a bus, the size of a postage stamp, trying to stay out of each other's way and live together. Sometimes that can be, you know, problematic even more so than just gelling musically and it just wasn't there wasn't a fit happening so he suggested me and i auditioned and uh it, it's been and they kind of hired me on the spot that's been 20 years ago now it's crazy that's that's awesome very yeah. very cool experience and so you've been with see there since since then correct yes yeah since okay. 2003 all right cool so um, now with the Nixons, just going back to the Nixons, you mentioned, um, on a previous conversation that we had that, um, you're kind of doing some things with the Nixons as far as touring. Are you guys back together officially or? Yeah. So, you know, I was so busy with Seether, uh, just touring, not, you know, we were just sort of on that cycle of album tour, album tour. Until about 2017, we started uh, having some more breaks and kind of spending more time at home. And the the entire time, the Nixons, the members, we all kept in touch and we would be offered to play reunion shows, quote unquote, in, in our you know region in the United States, in either Dallas or Oklahoma. And finally, everything, the stars sort of lined up for us to do a reunion show in 2017 or a couple, actually. And those went great. And we really didn't have any plans to do anything else. But uh, the, the singer for the Nixon, Zach Malloy, is also a songwriter. He lives in Nashville. So he started writing music and sending it to all of us. And like, would you guys want to record something? And that kind of snowballed into 
recording an EP, recording new music, then booking some other shows. And, you know, and I'm, I'd go out on tour with Seether, I'd come back, maybe there'd be a window, we'd book a couple more shows. So yeah, I mean, the Nixons uh, did a tour with Everclear last summer. And um, yeah, it's, it's been great. We were working on new music. We, we did a show back in March at a very popular venue uh, in Dallas, Texas called Trees, infamous venue, Nirvana, Pearl Jam played, all the, the big bands that when they first came to Dallas, Texas. And we recorded a live show that we're getting ready to actually release on vinyl. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So the Nixons have reunited and, and kind of try to do things when we can. Do you mind if I... Cool. Do you mind if I ask um, the name, the Nixons, where does that come from? Is that a Richard Nixon <laughs> reference? Is it a, a reference to somebody that the, the lead, you know, the, the original band members knew? What does the Nixons refer to? Man, I wish I had some great story. We just thought it, <laughs> as it's told to me, since the band already had the name, it's just that it looked cool, had an X in it. Uh, it sounded kind of like a punk band, maybe it kind of, invokes that image a, a bit we just thought it was kind of cool we have uh there have been a couple of cool concert posters kind of done in the vein of the Fillmore east uh san francisco late 60s posters where they did a a richard nixon character with you know devil horns and everything and we weren't named for richard nixon but they you know there's been some things kind of done that way which which is cool but really i wish there was some great story it just sort of sounded cool looked cool and we liked the x and and so we became the Nixons. It's it's funny you brought up the names, Bush, because so for Seether before, well, before you were in the band and they, when they were in South Africa, they were called, I think it was Scion Gas. Yeah, Sarin Gas. Yeah. Sarin Gas. And it's, uh, I, I'm a sucker for, for bands that had a different name or early before they made it, released anything under a different name. And right. that that's there was no vinyl, just the CD, which right. is uh, really hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. A CD called Fragile. And what had happened is they had signed to wind up at uh, relocated to the United States, working on the first album and 9-11 occurs. And Sarin Gas, you know, just was, you know. They just felt like, you know, there was the whole thing, right? Anthrax had issues, you know, the band. So it was just, right. you know, a weird time. And the label really suggested strongly the band needs to change its name before we, you know, release the first album. So, yeah. So Seether. So the uh, the original album. So my first introduction to Seether, I don't know if you could guess what my first introduction to Seether <laughs> was. I bet you it is, it is the first introduction of a lot of males aged 16 to 24 uh, in 2003. Can you guess what uh, see there? It, it, they were on the Madden soundtrack. Or, uh, I think right before you, the John oh, Madden, Madden yeah. football soundtrack right. in 2003. And yes. I played that game incessantly. That's right. And uh, I think it was Fine Again, I believe, is the yeah, song on there. Yeah, Fine Again, yes. right. Yep, And uh, which is a, a great song. Um and I know it was before your time, but I'm sure you've played it a million times in, in concerts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was my the, my original introduction to Seether. And that was my introduction, too. It's, it's, it's cool. I have sort of this outside perspective of the first album, Disclaimer, which that song is on, because um, I remember uh, an MTV sub-channel before it became MTV2 in the early 2000s called MTVX. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was a rock, all-rock video 
the yeah. new metal stuff or whatever. And they played fine again. So one of my buddies like, yeah, see, there's looking for a drummer. I knew exactly who it was. I knew that song. And I'm like, oh, cool. I went and picked up the album. I think I got the CD at Best Buy or something. And I was supposed to learn four songs. I learned the entire album for my audition. And we just ran through the whole set. I just wanted to make sure I was prepared and, you know, wanted to do my best. But yeah, Fine Again was my introduction too. So I have sort of this outside fan perspective of that album, that song, that single, that time, because I wasn't with the band yet. Yeah, back then, I mean, like the Madden soundtrack. I, I think on that Madden soundtrack was Seether, Bon Jovi, uh, Andrew yeah. WK had a song called Party Hard, which was a big yeah. hit. That soundtrack yeah. was massive. Good Charlotte, like, wow. I think, was Good on there. Yeah, the, early the an- anthem yeah. by Good Charlotte was on there. It was a yeah. classic soundtrack, so much so that I've actually downloaded like the playlist of Madden 2003, and I listened to oh, it. Oh wow, it was a great. It was a great. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's your entry point, and and for yeah. a lot uh, that that was, and that's that's very cool. So, John, did you have any involvement at all? on the recording of Disclaimer? So what happened is I joined literally at the tail end of that tour. And what's supposed to happen is we're um, going to start working on, and we were, we went into rehearsal space and started working on new songs for what was to become the second album, Carmen Effect. In the meantime, Broken was a sort of all acoustic song that f- was the last song on Disclaimer. And they asked us to re-record it with Amy Lee from Evanescence for the Punisher soundtrack, the movie The Punisher. And so we go into the studio to track that song and then just r- go right back to our, you know working on demos and stuff for what's to become the second album, Carmen Effect. Well, Broken gets released and just explodes. And so we immediately go on tour overseas. And with the Knicks, I have to say, we never toured overseas. So this was my first time to go to Europe. You know, uh, which was great overseas. Uh, we also played South Africa, Australia, and we're opening for Evanescence, which was great because in 2003 they were massive. So she would come out at the end of our set and do that song. So it just, you know, my my memory is they literally just sort of as a welcome to the band. They gave me a gold disc for disclaimer, even though I didn't play on it. But then Broken explodes. I'm doing that for the first year and a half, and they re-release disclaimer and call it disclaimer two and it has bonus tracks which i played on so i'm sort of affiliated not with disclaimer but with disclaimer two which has broken these bonus tracks cigarettes love her stuff that i played on that sort of so again i'm just like at the tail end of that whole thing before we begin the next album very cool so um, with Seether, um, with the Nixons, are there any new recording projects that you guys are working on? Yeah, Seether just uh, finished recording and mixing what's to be our new new album. So we've got a new album coming this year. I'm really excited. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah the awesome. songs are awesome. And yeah, that was, that was great. I went in before the holidays last December and went to Nashville, did the drums, and then went back for overdubs in January. And we just got the mixes back this week. And, yeah, I'm very excited. So yeah, that'll we have a new album coming out uh, this year. I don't have an exact release date or anything for you. Uh, we do hit the road in April with Stain. So I go I go back out on tour April and May. We'll go tour with Stain. I don't believe that. Oh, I'm pretty sure the new album won't be released in time for that tour. But uh, we'll do another tour then in fall. 
Very cool. Uh, do you have the yeah? Do you have the title yet for the album? Not yet. Um, no spoilers yet. I, I may have no, a working fighter, but I <laughs> title that I can't I can't say just yet. We're, we're trying for our first ever breaking news on. I on know. The I know. <laughs> I wish I could help out a little bit more. Any no, plans? Oh God, I'm sorry, Drew. Any plans for any uh you know uh special vinyl releases? Anything um as far as perhaps the vinyl itself, special colors, special uh you know anything? Are you trying to lean on the guys in the band to say, hey, listen, you know, uh, could really make some cool collectible stuff here? Yeah, which which I have to say, I have to give credit to Sean that he's you know yeah, I mean, vinyl has just become part. Uh, of the the merch rollout plan i mean which is great vinyl has gotten so popular again um it was a big part of our last two albums we did merch bundles with vinyl we did color vinyl variants limited edition stuff then we'd have a different color variant with you know uh walmart and then would be a picture disc version with best buy and then we did this cool sort of blood filled vinyl mm. thing mm -hmm. which was kind of a unique we only did i think a hundred of them and That's it was a really blood-filled cool. yeah, thing for the last album. So I don't know exactly what all we'll do, but there'll definitely be some unique vinyl. And we love color vinyl, splatters, and different variants. So that's always a big part of, of a, an initial release with us now. Awesome. Well, nice. when they start to get released and rolled out, let us know. We'll help promote. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we, yeah, thank yeah, you. We love, we love variants um, here at VMG. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, uh, yeah. So what about your record collection? So you talked, um, you told me previously that you're a big time record collector. In fact, we met at a record show. So, yeah. um, you know, um, tell us a little bit about your record collection. Um, you know, how you got into listening to vinyl. You kind of did it a little bit in the, in the, uh, introduction. Yeah. So as a kid, I mean, the first, you know, thing I had as far as introduction to music was vinyl. I was, uh, you know, in the classic era of vinyl when I was a kid. My parents had vinyl. And uh, in the first few pieces that I had, like I was speaking about. Uh, so I I've always loved it. So as a teenager, uh, I I worked in record stores. I mean, I mean, I'm just the most boring guy in the world. I'm a musician. <laughs> I love music in my off time. The only real jobs I had prior to being, you know, was working in record stores. I just loved it. You know, I love being around music. And I love vinyl. <laughs> so uh, of course, when I started driving, you know, uh, I got into cassettes and CDs. But I always had a vinyl collection. And then I guess like most in the '90s, I didn't sell my collection. I didn't take it to a pawn shop and get rid of it. I kept it. I didn't have a turntable for years, but I hung on to my vinyl, even though I was mostly listening to CDs. And then, gosh, what's it been? Eight, nine years ago, I, I just kind of got back into it. I would always hit record stores. I've kind of, I've been touring long enough to see the trend of mom and pop record stores where you could find stuff. Then they would, di they disappeared for a time. And then now I'm back out on the road and there's, you know, multiple used record shops per town, per city. Now you can make a day of getting into an Uber and hitting four or five places, depending on the size of the city or market you're in. And it's been amazing. And so luckily I never got rid of it, uh, never sold it. And, and it's only exponentially grown in the last seven, eight years. And thanks for things. Thanks to things like Discogs and the d different Facebook vinyl groups. And I've learned a lot listening to your podcast, 
uh, the Guns N' Roses. I was telling Andrew, I've learned things, you know, I just love it. And uh, so I'm, I'm definitely a vinyl geek and, and a proud one. Well, I see one or two. I mean, our listeners can't see the the video stream, but there's like at least one or two records behind you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How many records do you think are in your in your collection, or do you know? I have about thirty five hundred pieces. That's a good. And, that's a good uh, size of collection. Yeah. Yeah, and what's behind me really is just it's Beatles, Kiss, and then oddly enough, I'm a huge Elvis Presley fan. Ah, okay. So okay. this is this, and then downstairs is everything else. And, nice. um, so yeah, those are like my three big, you know, things I like to collect as far as, and we'll get into that, you know, obviously I love listening to music. I love listening to vinyl. I listen to it, but I'm also a collector and I collect vinyl for various reasons. So what band like, or what genre, I guess I should say, makes up the biggest cross section in your collection? Um, cause a lot of collections are different. Um, there's like big jazz collectors or yeah. guys who are really into heavy rock. What What's in, what's in your collection mostly? I think, uh, a little bit of everything, but I think mostly it would be rock, you know, classic rock, the stuff I grew up with. Uh, but I, I love Motown. I love early rock and roll. Like I said, Elvis Presley, I collect Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis. I have uh, a basic jazz collection. I have some of the bigger Miles Davis titles and Theolonious Monk and, um, you know, John Coltrane. And I've learned and started, you know, getting in into more jazz, learning what to look for in the old, J, old JC pressings and different things. But I, yeah, I love R&B. I like 70s soul a lot. A lot of 70s, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, Marvin Gaye, uh, you know, the Supremes, the Temptations I love. I'm just, uh, you know, my mom, when I was a kid, I have great memories of Jim Croce, Simon and Garfunkel, you know, things like that. And then, then I've got Pantera and Metallica, Kiss, you know, just ACDC, you know, I just, uh, I like, I just like a lot of music. It sounds like we have very similar, uh, record collections for sure yeah um, it, it's very interesting that you're into like the motown stuff and and soul and funk and uh it, it reminded me of an interview that i've seen previously of david Grohl um when he was talking about his time in nirvana and when they were writing smells yeah. like teen spirit yeah and he 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 just brought in a disco beat and dropped yeah, he was that referencing down and it, yeah yeah the gas band the gas band which <laughs> yeah. were from, they were from <laughs> tulsa oklahoma um yes yeah do you find yourself doing things like that being inspired by um you know other genres uh, when you're writing for cedar yeah absolutely and i think little things come out throughout my career when i'm recording it usually it's a last minute thing like can you do a fill here or, or fill there and it's something i hadn't really given much thought before and then i'll realize later oh man i lifted that from you know this or uh, oh, wow. I didn't realize that was a, a kiss Peter Chris thing. I kind of turned around a little bit or whatever it is, you know. So I think it's all back there in my vocabulary. It's all back there in the file cabinets of my mind in one way or another and does come out sometimes through the music. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, any interesting pickups? So I always try to ask this um, in our episodes. Um, any interesting pickups that you've had recently? Yeah, we were talking a bit about this. So um, I do collect sealed albums and I try to get, a, you know, first pressing sealed things. And I, I think I, I was talking to you about this and this is mm -hmm. uh, 
the Rolling Stones. It's a mono press of December's Children with the hype sticker. I'm a sucker for hype stickers. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I was talking to you. I now really do consider when I when I and I have a lot of sealed things, having them encapsulated now because I have copies of this album. I have both stereo and mono copies that I play. I have my play copies, but this is something I'll never open, and I don't want to. I just think it's sort of a, it's an amazing time capsule. This thing's older than me, and it's still. And you could put it on and play it, but uh, I'm not going to open it, you know. And um, I love the idea of. I'll probably have this encapsulated. In fact, so cool. I just, you know, when I pick up things now, I, I that's sort of sometimes in the back of my mind. Um, you know, about how to take care of these and, and preserve these, you know, for years to come besides just, you know, sticking it on my shelf. Cool. Well, I know some guys who encapsulate them. So um, that exact, uh, that exact album sealed with a hype sticker just, uh, came across our desk yesterday, actually. Yeah. Oh, just wow. Get that very, the very one. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so it's a competition between that, you know, see if yours is in better shape. We'll find <laughs> right. Out. Right. Right. <laughs> I can't remember what, I, I gave it the initial an initial um, look over and wrote notes on it, but I can't remember what my initial thought was as far as grading. Um, but those are, you know, those are those old hype stickers are they're fantastic. And, I'm a uh, sucker, man. I just yeah. I love it. I love it. And if I find out that a certain pressing has one or originally it had one, I've got to find it. You know, I just. I'm all about and they it. don't make hype stickers like they used to. I mean, now it's no, like, you know, down, no. download this, a downloadable MP3 or, um, yeah. and I love Bernie Grudman and Kevin Gray and all those guys, but it's usually, you know, 180 gram vinyl, you know, press bike, um, Bernie Grudman. But I, I want to see those beautiful hype stickers from, of old, you know, they, yeah. they're just awesome. Yeah. I love uh, it. Cool. Yeah. That's I a good pickup. What about you? What about you guys? Uh, anyone else get anything? Paul, you'll be interested to know. Um, I think this is so. Uh, every so often, I'll get an album, and I'll accidentally get two of them, and then Paul is my man to buy it off me. So, Paul, <laughs> I accidentally last, literally last episode, I said I had finally gotten the singles soundtrack. I didn't realize yeah. I had forgotten I had put in another offer for another guy for single soundtrack, and he accepted the offer. So oh. now I have two single oh, soundtracks. Nice. Perfect. So, <laughs> It looks like you're getting a single soundtrack. Perfect. Nice. <laughs> uh, I haven't really, I haven't bought much new stuff, but I'm, uh, I'm in the Third Man Vault member, and I've been listening to the last two Vault packages that they put out. The Sid Barrett Solo Works, which is which oh, a cool yeah. box set. And so I never really, I never really listened to Sid Barrett solo stuff. Like I've heard the first two Pink Floyd albums, but I never got into his solo stuff. And that's really cool. It's his whole, his whole catalog. And then the live from uh, Las Vegas White Stripes one, which are both sound awesome, and just the packaging they do is is awesome. Uh, but when you said that you're a big Elvis fan, the next package is all the Sun recording singles that they're putting oh, out. Oh, nice! So they're wow. reissuing all pressed at Third Man every uh, all those the 45s that he put out at Sun Records. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I have the record store day. You know, Jack bought at auction the original sort of acetate that mm -hmm. uh, Elvis recorded uh, supposedly for his mom for a birthday gift. It's a song called My Happiness. And uh, he did a repress for Record Store Day. Uh, what year was Was it 2012, maybe? And it looks like a 78, and it has a replica of the label and everything. So cool. Yeah, he's yeah. a huge Elvis fan, so I, yeah, I think that's awesome. Cool stuff. One lucky Vault member is getting the original 45s. So 
He's going to send the really? original ones to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Just randomly. Yeah. That's awesome. I may have I to join. I may uh, have to uh, join. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of like lottery, lottery. Yeah. Vinyl. Like what baseball cards have that, that vinyl doesn't have yet, which is like, you know, like, you know, sign one and stick it in and find out yeah. if you get it when you open it. And I, I yeah. feel like that's the next thing. Maybe uh, Seether can do that. You guys sign a few. Nobody knows. You have to open right. them. Signed. Beautiful. That's cool. I love surprises. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. That's a good yeah, idea. It drives everybody, you know, drives people to, you know, keep buying them and keep opening them. And then that oh, yeah. increases the value of the unopened ones because people are yeah. opening them. You know? <laughs> Yeah, like, true, I'll take yeah, I'll take I'll take fifteen percent. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I uh, I I don't have it to show yet, and I was just che- checking the tracking number. But for me, a big album, I just got the uh, "Life Like a Suicide" sealed, Guns N' Roses' first album, which nice. has been on my want list for for a very long time, and I've never seen it sealed. One finally came up, and I I the trigger so i'm anxiously awaiting to to get that in the mail oh yeah very cool that's great um i just ordered a um it's not here yet it's a bootleg of the rooftop concert for the beatles um like an old original one it's like white with the blue um paper front cover and um also ordered a uh, Led Zeppelin bootleg, um, the Blueberry Hill one. Um, so uh, looking forward to getting that and um, listening to those. I haven't had one of those in my collection yet. Um, and also just recently I got, I was slow getting it, but the Nirvana in utero box set for the anniversary. Okay. And yeah. um, there's, I mean, some people hate box sets. Some people love box sets. Um I'm in the camp of if it doesn't bring anything new or special, I don't, I'm not really interested, but like in this particular case, the only way to get those live concerts that were remastered was in that box set. So, um, so I picked that up. Nice. Um, Those are my most recent purchases. Do you like the box set? Is it cool? Have you had a chance to kind of dig, go through it? I've gotten a chance to go through it. I, I got it right before I left on our trip here, but, um, it's um, really well done. I actually like it better than the Nevermind one. It has like a bunch of like um, facsimiles of the con- some concert tickets. Um, and they're the concert tickets to the concerts that are in there in yeah. the box set. Um, some backstage passes, um, a mo- uh, an in utero mobile, like I guess for like at record stores and stuff. It like hung from the ce- ceiling. Um, some other things and but one of the things i really like about it it is kind of weird is just it comes with an acrylic sheet in the front with the in utero lady with the yeah and it's just a clear plexiglass sheet and it just looks really really cool but they had to do something they put the peel me stickers on each side because it has a protective coating but then they put the in utero bumblebee on that same sticker and now i can't peel it I can't get myself to peel that that uh, sticker off, so <laughs> it's it's completely staying <laughs> the way it is. Right. Um, one day, maybe we'll we'll slab a box set. You never know. <laughs> yeah, but, That's cool. Uh, very cool. So we talked a little bit beforehand, and usually, what we do in these shows, if you're the first time listening, uh, is we have either our special guest or one of us select a band that we would like to discuss. 
their discography and talk about rare pressings, valuable pressings, weird pressings, whatever the case may be. And um, today uh, we gave that honor to John Humphrey since he's our guest and he selected the band Kiss. Uh, so uh, what vinyl releases? We'll let you go first, John. What do you find interesting from your collection of Kiss? Gosh, I mean, if anyone's sort of familiar with the band, I mean, they have 30 plus releases over the years. I mean, their discography is deep and uh, there's a lot of foxholes involved. But uh, yeah, I picked sort of like 10 sort of high points for me, things that I just, you know, I really like. And uh, starting off with um, the first album. Well, first, I guess before I do that, I like how you guys talk about rookie cards in the way of a a rookie release. So this is a band called Chelsea. And this is Peter Chris's first band. Oh, cool. Right here. My wife's name. They were on DECA. And so this would be sort of the equivalent. Uh, Isn't super hard to find, but it's kind of gone up in price over the years. Uh, Kind of a weird, psychedelic, late 60s, early 70s. This album was released in 1970. and uh, But it's kind of cool to have. So this is Peter's sort of pre-Kiss band. This is the only release they had. And, nice. Uh, so, awesome. yeah. So that would be Peter's sort of rookie that's, card. That's actually, for, that's actually very fortunate for Paul because yeah. Paul's fa- one of Paul's favorite Kiss songs is Beth. And he was thinking of leaving his wife for a woman named Beth. <laughs> But his wife's name is Chelsea, so now he can stay with her. Yeah, you know, the tie-in. Yeah, he doesn't have to leave. He doesn't have to find Beth. He can just stick with Chelsea. This is perfect. You don't Great. find I yourself was... calling her Beth, do you? <laughs> I've got a new nickname for you. It's Beth. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was just talking to Butch today, and I was saying, you know, my favorite two Kiss songs are black diamond and Beth, you know, both Peter yeah. Chris sung songs. Yeah, me, so I, now I have to get that album Yeah, so. is uh, a yeah. hard luck woman. And, and uh, I was always a hard luck woman and, and growing up, I was a huge, you know, Beth was a huge, although my, uh, my mother originally told us we weren't allowed to listen to it. Cause she thought it was death. I hear you calling. So the first time <laughs> oh, she heard gosh. it, she said, she said, you're never allowed to listen to that song again. And then my, you know, we so she was like she the mom in Detroit Rock City. She brought out, yeah, your apparently. Yeah. The- <laughs> so she was like, listen to, lo- listen to Love Gun instead. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's much better. Yeah. <laughs> listen to Christine 16. That's a much better uh- <laughs> that one didn't age well either. No. You know, that one didn't, did that one didn't age too well. Yeah, yeah, Beth was a weird one, man. It's a, it's an amazing song, but yeah, this band with makeup, this this heavy hard rocking band with a guy that blows fire and spits blood, is doing this sort of epic orchestral song, ballad mm-hmm. called Beth. You know, so yeah. that's funny. Y- your mom's like, so Gene Simmons is in the band. That it's got to be Death. Right. I hear you calling. That can't <laughs> well, be my, Beth. <laughs> my mom definitely knew. My, I mean, I don't want to jump in too much. So I want you to keep going. But um, I was so excited when you said Kiss because my oldest brother is. The biggest kiss. He's seven years older than me. I was born in 79. He was born in 72. So we were raised on kiss by my older brother. I remember going into kindergarten and being upset that no one else knew all the kiss songs. I was like, who are these kids that don't know kiss? You know, (laughs) so we knew like kiss was all over our bedrooms growing up. Yeah. Um, Even in the early 80s, you know, we were big. We knew with the whole uh, we'll get more into it. But I want to hear, you know more about your your thoughts as you got into kiss and, and, and into your albums here 
Absolutely. I was telling Andrew, I mean, Kiss in so many ways was my gateway band. It was sort of the first rock band I got into. I was just the right age, man, when they were, you know, I think I had, they had bubblegum cards, baseball cards that you could get at convenience stores. I think I had some of those and saw them before I actually heard their music. I still so have I was, made by, made by Donruss. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. My grandmother, she would have like a weekend job and she would sneak packs. She would get packs for me. And it was like, I had Star Wars, I had Rocky and I had Kiss, you know? And uh, yeah, they were the gateway band for me. And, and so with music, getting into rock music before Van Halen, ACDC, I mean, I'm an eighties kid, that era, a Kiss was first for me. And then Kiss, as we all know, is a highly collectible band, right? The seventies merchandise, you know, their faces and Gene's infamous for, you know, trademarking anything and everything. And uh, so my collecting mentality also became from being a Kiss fan and collector. And I think that's carried over, obviously, into vinyl and er other aspects by, you know, by way of Kiss, you know, and just kind of how I learned to collect and the mentality I developed, you know, being into this band. But so what's uh, the next, yeah, what's the okay, next so album? The next one here yep. is the, is this, the white label promo for the first album. So this album, and I've been listening to all the podcasts. It's celebrating its 50th anniversary this month, 50 years ago, this month, this album dropped. And so this is the white label promo. And for those that don't know, uh, the label they were on was Casablanca records. And initially they were a subsidiary of Warner brothers. And they did a partnership with Warner Brothers for only the first album. So I have the white label promo. It, it came with this Warner Brothers envelope, mailer. And it also, and I won't unfold it because my collector th brain won't let me, my OCD thing won't let me. <laughs> but it has this poster, right? That's the first album promo poster. With Peter, wow. he has the fame, the knife in the photo. It's sort of the... So that was folded up in the inside the, the white label promo in that envelope and was sent out. And it was the only album that was actually done in partnership with Warner. Warner Brothers pulled out. And then Casablanca with Neil Bogart was basically an independent label. And uh, so the white label promo fans, collectors really wanted. It's not that rare. If you looked on eBay now, I bet there's one. But it, it goes for, you know big dollars depending on condition. So it's not uber rare. They had obviously the the push of Warner. There's actually other 70s promos much rarer than the first one, but a lot of people want that white label first album promo. Mm -hmm. Does does that happen to have the Century Plaza hype sticker on the back? No, no. I saw a recent auction with that. I had never seen it before, but I went on and, and I got a postcard. And so I put it with the record just to have. <laughs> but yeah, that was the, nice. the infamous hotel uh, that they had the record release party, Casablanca record release party for Kiss. So yeah, you might. I'm kind of a fan. It's not the greatest movie in the world, but it's sort of interesting. It's a movie called Spinning Gold. It's a story of Neil Bogart, the president of Casablanca, and how he, you know, he came from Buddha Records. He started this independent label, and sort of the story of signing Kiss, and of course later on. They were the premier, you know, disco label in the seventies. Right, but, Donna, uh, Summer the, and, uh, Donna Summer and, and Village uh, People, Village People, and, Parliament, you know, I think it was Parliament, there, which Funkadelic, disco, but funk, yeah, yeah, funk, yep. yeah, of that era. And he was, you know, uh, you know, a key promotion guy. He always had big ideas, and it's kind of a fascinating movie in his story. And so, a tie-in for, for that 
is those that don't know. So the first album, Neil asked them to do a song. He had a great idea that they would do a kissing contest, right, to help promote the album because the first album's bombing. The singles aren't really hitting at radio. So I'll try to show this. They put out, there's a hype sticker on this one, a song called Kissing Time, which is a cover of a song by a 50s artist named Bobby Rydell. And the idea is they'll yell out if anyone's heard the song, these different radio cities where radio stations are to sort of give them a nod and, you know, in kissing time. And they added it to subsequent pressing. So the very first pressing, like that Y label promo, doesn't have the song kissing time on it. Then it was added to later pressings. And then there's these weird transition pressings that are collectible. So this one says kissing time on this hype sticker. It says kissing time on the label, but it's not on the vinyl. So it's this weird okay. transition and it'll be the other way around too. You can get labels and they're hard to find where, you know, it doesn't say kissing time, but kissing time's on the vinyl. You have to kind of count the spaces. Side B either has four or five depending. And uh, kissing time is the track that was added later. Yeah. Very sure. non, uh, very non, you know, early kiss sounding song, very poppy. Um, yeah. Doesn't yeah. sound like they're hard. You know, the other stuff, you know, certainly doesn't sound like Strutter or anything else from that. Album. No, nothing. It, it definitely sticks out. Sonically, though, it fits pretty well. They've recorded it at a different time. But sonically, I don't know how they really. Well, same studio, I guess. Um, it, it just it sonically kind of fits with the record. It doesn't sound like it was done on a, a different day. But it's a definitely it's a different song. It's a different song. John, do you have the other Kiss misprint from that? I, I don't know if you're probably going to talk about it next, but they also put out a a misprint that has a completely different band's songs on the B side. Uh, no, of the a first sweet, album. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's, a, I think it's the first album. But the, yeah, the I, B I've side um, has a, a band called squeezer. Um, and it's oh, there, yes. the B side of their album, joy, joy fantasies right. is on the B side of the kiss album with the, oh, wow. the Kiss label and everything. You don't know unless you play it. It's the completely wrong band on the, on the album oh that's crazy i've i've heard of that the only other time i've heard is they had an album in the uh, early 80s called creatures of the night and it was pressed uh at the same time john cougar mellencamp's is it small houses or no it's one with jackie and diane what's the name of that uh, album scarecrow yes and uh it'll have the the kiss labels but it's it's the john cougar album and i've heard one side i've heard both sides but those are interesting creatures sort of, of the night kind of uh a weird album in itself in that uh ace freely's on the cover doesn't right. play and then they re-release it with bruce kulik on the cover right who also and didn't play who also album. didn't play <laughs> yeah and it's you know it's funny i've grown up with kiss so i i've loved all the stories and learning about the band so i'm full of all this useless information i'm a complete kiss nerd and you know so those who don't know uh, Neil Bogart, who I was just speaking of, sold Casablanca Records in the early 80s to Polygram. Huge payday. And they had a key man clause in the contract, meaning with Neil leaving, Kiss were free to go. But they renegotiated a huge deal with Polygram. And the c- contingent was it has to every album for the, like it was like a million dollar advance for each album. The contingent was they had to have at least three original members in the band for each album in order for that deal. Otherwise it doesn't. So Ace had left the band 
the label doesn't really know. He's they convince him to at least appear in the photographs, but he didn't play a note on the record. But that's the reason why Ace is on the cover of Creatures. It was a contractual thing, and uh, of course later on. Ace is gone and they have to renegotiate the whole deal. And then in the eighties, lick it up's the first album after creatures, no makeup, the huge, they hit big again in the MTV era and they decide And creatures is to me a better album than lick it up. Same producer, Michael James Jackson. They sound like volume one, volume two. I love both those albums, but they creatures still didn't sell like lick it up. So they did this, what you were talking about, which is an 80 style cover, the band unmasked a whole new cover, which had their guitar player at the time was Bruce Kulik. So it's a, he's, he also didn't play on the album. So he's on that cover, that second unmasked cover of creatures. I yeah. got you. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, so next album, next album would be Iron away. Yeah, this is cool. So again, some reasons I collect isn't because of the music it's, it's for other reasons. So their second album was an album called hotter than hell. Right, and in Argentina in 1981, they re- they released the album Argentina with this alternate cover. And anyone who may not be familiar, so Kiss released solo albums in the late 70s, and inside those solo albums, it was like a giant poster puzzle piece. And when you put them all together, it made a mural. But it, each one were like sort of these animated, you know, jeans was and this one with little jeans around him. And it was sort of like an animated cartoon sort of artwork that was done on the posters. Anyway, they used images from those posters to make this cover in Argentina, which I think is kind of cool. So this is a just an alternate version of Hotter Than Hell, their second album. Cool. Very cool. Which I like, I like stuff like this. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm also a sucker for alternate covers or any sort of variant that makes it unique. That, yeah, you know, you're not used to seeing, and then you see it for the first time, and it, it's totally different. I know, like ACDC, they're Australian albums. Yes, like their first yeah. few are all different. Yeah, and, um, Dirty Deeds like, is like completely different to ours, and right and Powerage, and yes, you're right. Yeah. I, and I'm or I see that I'm like oh gotta have it gotta have yeah, it <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah 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 there you go yeah I love that stuff love so it that's cool I I didn't know that one about Kiss but it's uh it's on my radar now yeah and then this was the first Kiss album I had this is this isn't the actual album but this is the one that started it all for me so their first three albums Kiss Hotter Than Hell Dressed to Kill don't do very good they bomb essentially. And sort of as a last ditch effort, Neil agrees to put out this double live album, which explodes as the live version of rock and roll night. And the thing becomes a hit saves the band and the rest is history. And um, this is a sealed copy of a live, the original one with the, with another hype, you know, the hype sticker. Again, I'm a sucker for those. And uh, I just wanted a pristine copy. And I got this a long time ago before the prices kind of got crazy, but I'm happy to have a sealed copy of a live. Well, that was going to be, I think you answered one of my questions because one of my questions was going to be, um, you know, are you a Kiss Alive or Kiss Alive 2 guy? Because yeah. I grew up, I grew up with Kiss, I'm a little late, you know, I was born in 79, but Kiss Alive 2 was the album of my age, I don't know, three to eight. We listened to it literally every day. It uh, it spun on a, you know, a turntable. Yeah. Uh, before we even had a cassette, we had it. My brother played it all the time. I had it memorized from start to finish. Everything Paul Stanley said, 
Um, I still get goosebumps. Uh, I, yeah. I still think it's the better. You wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest band in the world. It's a better one on Alive Two than I agree. The, the guy says <laughs> the it in Alive One. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and it's just such an amazing album. Um, so you're an Alive guy, though. You're you're Alive One. I, I am. It's funny you tell that story because my brother, I have a younger brother, he's four years younger. And I remember our aunt took us to the record store. We could each pick. And this is our first Kiss albums. I go for a live. He goes for a live too. And um, and so we did. I mean, I, I heard a live too. He would play it or we would trade to listen to each other's stuff. But mine was a live. I tell you, I loved, again, being that perfect age. Kiss were really I mean, they knew how to market to kids and they would put little things inside these albums that you loved, right? Little booklets, tattoos, tattoos yeah. uh, posters. I mean, they just knew and you just were so excited. And I'll tell you what, I was so jealous of my little brother. He gets alive too, and it has the tattoos in it. It has a booklet in it. And, uh, you know, an order form that shows you the, the Kiss, Kiss Army, Army stuff. Yep. You could order yep. it, all of that. It was just the inner sleeves were cool with the discography on one side and the fan photos on the other. It was just awesome. Mine had nothing in it. I think it was supposed to come with a book. And for some reason, it didn't even have the book in it. I was so mad. I found out years later that Alive had a book in it. I got just so ripped off. I love Alive, the show, those songs. But uh, I love Alive too. But I'm a live guy. But my my little brother had a live right. too. So yeah, yeah. Alive is cool because that's the the version of Rock and Roll Night that most people know. That's on the radio. That's like one that's of a right. handful of songs that the live version's the most popular version, not the studio version. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the one that really that really took off. So speaking of Alive too, I guess I could go ahead and show this. And Andrew, I had this one encapsulated. So this is Alive too. <clears throat> nice. And, and this is the famous misprint. I'm sorry, it's still in the bag here. But this one is, and they said for the longest time, and I read about it before I actually found one, they said at the time they suspected 50 copies existed where it has three additional tracks on the track listing here. The song Take Me, Hooligan, and Do You Love Me are on the track listing on the print of this cover. And those songs were never included on the album. I belong to a Facebook group. There are far more than 50 copies in existence. So it's still very rare, highly sought after, but it's the what they call the misprint Alive 2, which has the wrong song list for Alive 2. It's not on the vinyl. There's no versions with them, those songs on the vinyl. It's just the cover. And what made this cool is it's it's a sealed copy, which I was, you know, I found this a long time ago. And uh, again, I wasn't going to open this. And this is fascinating. He has a price sticker on it for seventy nine, so it, it and it has a cutout. So yep. this was released in seventy seven when Kiss was everywhere. It was sent back. That's when you know record stores could send back to you know distributors and get credit. And then it's put out again in a second hand or a cutout bin, and then sells in seventy nine. Right. So I just think that's kind of fascinating. The the whole the yeah. stories right there, just with the price sticker. What is it? November of nineteen seventy nine, three ninety nine. You could get a sealed alive too. I'm <laughs> yeah. all the, I'm about that. I think it's cool, and it's got the hype sticker on there too. It's interesting. I was talking to my brother before, and he mentioned the 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 track stuff on uh, Kiss Alive too, and apparently Kiss became somewhat notorious of having wrong tracks on their listed. I think Love Gun and The Elder both also had wrong completely wrong tracks yeah all mentioned um that uh 
that 74 Kiss album, which had a wrong band uh, on the <laughs> right, vinyl. Right. Um, I don't know if uh, Casablanca was running a shoddy operation over there. Yeah. But well, they were the fast and loose. Kiss yeah, was the first I, band, right? On Casablanca? I think they're the yeah, very it first, was their first Yeah, it was their first signing and certainly the first rock band. And yeah, the, the albums you're referencing, like Dynasty, Love Gun, they just, I think up until the last minute, they weren't too sure of the song title. So I heard that they would just put them sort of in alphabetical order sometimes or just put them up there. And if they would change the order, I got you. they would. But for The Elder, it's kind of interesting. So there are two versions, two different track lists. The albums are the same. But if anybody knows the Kiss story, this is their great uh, concept album that they're going to release, produced uh, by Bob Ezrin, who had just done Pink Floyd's The Wall. And this was going to be Kiss's big, you know, artistic statement. And the label is freaking out. They don't know what to do with this album. And the single is, uh, uh, I'm spacing out. Help me out. What, what's the uh, World Without Heroes? And so they put that on the first song on side two, which messes up the entire story, but they wanted the single to be the first track on the side two that you would hear. So that's why there's two different track lists. It's because of the uh, the, the label freaking out. So again, I'm full of all this sort of bizarre, <laughs> useless information. Could it be that Gene Simmons is just a marketing genius and just yeah. has multiple variants out there for people to chase? I think it's some. I'd love to give him credit, but uh, I think some of it, it's truly accidental and sort of because of that becomes, you know, you know, collectible. I know for a fact the elder, you know, the label didn't know what to do with it. So I, I'm sure I have a test press of that album, a U.S. test that has a completely different track list than the version that was released. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird that, album for them. It's like a, yeah. a soundtrack to a movie that didn't exist. Like it wasn't really a, like exactly. a rock opera, like a Tommy or, right. or something yeah. like that. It was like a fake soundtrack kind of, right? Right. It was, yeah, uh, and it's titled Music from the Elder. Yeah. So as a kid, I'm like, what the hell's the Elder? You <laughs> right. know, and then I couldn't find that anywhere. And so it's, yeah, it was just, it was a weird time for them. It was probably in that era the only uh, Kiss album that never got played in my house. Like it was almost it was the redheaded stepchild of Kiss albums, <laughs> and my brother like refused to even let his little brothers listen to it. It was just so. When you said what was the single, I don't even know any of the songs. I, I mean, and I consider myself a you know enough. I know enough about Kiss just through osmosis. I don't even know yeah. any of the songs on that album. I don't know if I've ever listened to it. Actually, man, I was, you know, by then I had also found Judas Priest and Van Halen and ACDC, but I stood by Kiss, man. Any left turns they've taken, I've been right there with them. I had buddies like going, you still listen to Kiss, man? Kiss is crap. It's horrible. Like if you listen to the elder, that's a terrible, you know, and I had a lot of buddies leave them and uh, I, I stayed fast. You know, I was like, I was all about, I kind of stayed with them. I wasn't crazy when they took off the makeup. I know why they they did it and how it was, you know, perfect, you know, work for them for a next generation of fans in the MTV era in the 80s. But I was really upset they took off the makeup, man. I was so bummed. <laughs> I was so bummed. So again, here's another one with hype stickers. They a lot of their albums from the 70s have hype stickers, but this one's probably the hardest one to find. And this is Destroyer. It has sort of this silver Mylar hype sticker with Shout It Out Loud, Flaming Youth, which were the mm -hmm. first two singles. So those two singles come out before Beth, right? right? 
They're trying because that's such a great album with with massive you know hits all over it, and I'm right. surprised that that these that, are the that first, song. Yeah, these are the first two singles, and actually the third one, Detroit Rock City, Beth is the B side, so they thought it was a throwaway. And the radio stations start flipping over AM radio back then, especially top forty started playing Beth, and then this album kind of got a second life. But for the first few months, it wasn't doing well. And these were the first singles. And so it, this is kind of a hard hype to find, but this is Destroyer with that hype sticker. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah. Hey, they actually, the first Detroit Rock City was the A-side, and then they re-released it with Beth as the A-side and Detroit Rock City as the B-side. Exactly. Right. So they're, you know if you're into 45s, it's kind of cool to have the one where Beth is the B-side, not the A-side, because yeah. usually that's the more common one. So. Yeah, for sure. I'm shocked they didn't think that Detroit Rocks. I mean, to me, Detroit Rock City, the first time you hear it and the um, it's so like simply like simple, but complex the way they they stop. They just have the drums. They uh, to me, it's just such an amazing oh, yeah, song. It's song. one of those songs. The first time you hear it, you're like, that's a great song. I'm shocked yes. that it wasn't one of yeah. the first two that they that- would have thought this is going to be a massive yeah. hit. Yes, and exactly. And here's here you find this out, you know, how many eons later, right? So Universal has re-released a singles box set of that era called the Casablanca Singles, and they have radio edits of songs. So check this out. So the radio edit of Detroit Rock City is a hack job. It's jacked up the song. I don't know what they've done. It just doesn't flow like the song should. So I'm sure radio stations and people were like, what is this? It's weird. They rearranged the song. They It's just bizarre. I don't know why. It's a, you'll have to check it out. It's Casablanca Singles, the radio edit of Detroit Rock City. So you hear that all these years later and go, oh, that's why they liked Beth better. They ruined Detroit <laughs> Rock City version. Radio was going, this is weird. I don't know why they did it. I know they had a cutoff time. But why not just cut the intro? Why rearrange? Yeah, it's right. The, the, al- the album has that like long intro with like the car accident. Yes, revving and, up. Which I think yeah, is actually accident. cool. Yeah, which is it cool. Kind of, right. it, it puts you. I just listened to it while we were uh, Paul and I were doing some records um, at the warehouse, and uh, we were listening to that, and it really does put you in like the 1970s. You feel like yeah. you're like in 19 like 79 with that yeah. intro. It's just so. Um, it's awesome. It, it, it really puts you in the era it does and the uh the sort of the uh, lossless audio the dolby atmos that you can listen to on apple music uh you can hear that sort of five one uh reinterpretation of which is kind of cool because that's a cinematic album man those effects and that song especially it's like a movie it's kind of cool if you ever check that out that's really kind of a cool way to hear the song that album's like perfect for that sort of five one treatment it's very cool So when we're talking about Beth takes off, Destroyer becomes huge. The first three albums didn't do well, but they repackaged them in this called The Originals, Kiss the Originals. This is a sealed copy with the clear hype on there. And it's a repackaging of the first three albums. So actually, this is the way I got these albums as a kid is through the originals. And I had the three albums, the first three albums this way. A friend of mine had given me a copy, and um, so it kind of has a place near and dear to my heart because the original, that's the way I heard those, the first three albums for the first time was put together in this set. And then in Japan only, the second three albums 
Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun were put together a Japan-only release called Originals 2. So when That's eBay awesome. started being the thing in the late 90s, and I I went to record conventions and I never I could never fi- I finally found this thing after I heard about it, but never had one and held one in my hands. But I I bought one back in the early days of eBay, and and got that which I was really excited. But that's a, it's very cool. It's a Japanese yeah. only. It's got some sweet you know inserts, uh, a calendar booklet thing, and it's kind of it's very very cool. This is kind of another. So their first greatest hits compilation here in the states. Both you're probably familiar. This is double platinum, right? It's a silver yep. mylar cover. Another right? one we listen to all the time. Yes, sure. yeah, right. It's a compilation of all their initial singles, and and it was all put together. So in Australia, they imported uh, or export, I guess, from the U.S. copies of that mylar cover to them to sell. Initially, they sold out. And uh, didn't know what to do because there was this in demand in the in the early 80s, late 70s in Australia for Kiss. So Australia puts out its own temporary cover, right? This is the white cover version of Double Platinum. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so the to kind of give you an idea, I'll show you. But you're probably familiar. The inside of Double Platinum, right, is has these embossed photographs of the guys, right? It's kind of hard to see. Yep, yep. But this embossed thing. So in Australia, that didn't have the same treatment. They weren't too sure what to do. So they did sort of a, a tracing of them. <laughs> so the band, yes, it, it's kind of weird to see. So the band sees this, their management, and they're like, we're not, you know, they have that was a, awful. They had it quickly pulled from the shelf. So this is yeah, pretty collectible awesome. now. To, so our, band, to our listeners who can't see it, those are some pretty bad it, drawings. It looks like a coloring book almost. Like yeah, it's, it, it I, does. It's just a drawing and someone looks like a kid should be coloring yeah, like paint it, by numbers almost. But it looks right. like it, it looks like uh, like an eight-year-old drew them. I mean, they do not look very <laughs> it good. It does. It does, exactly. But this coll- this cover is so collectible. So this is double platinum from Australia. I actually like the front of the cover. It's a, a the red logos. Yeah, yeah, the red. Kind of cool. That's really good. I think yeah. I like that too. I like that better than the silver double platinum. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And then in Argentina, their double platinum was put together with a different track list. What I like about certain compilations from other countries, it's sort of a playlist, right? Mm-hmm. We can't put together a playlist with vinyl per se, but I kind of like listening to songs in different orders from the albums, you know? So right. Lo Mayor De Kiss or the best of Kiss from Argentina. It's kind of cool. So it's again, this completely unique cover, which is kind of cool. And uh, so, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of a cool, cool thing. But, and that's, and, that's sealed too? No, it's open, but it's um, oh, okay. It's in good condition. Yeah, that's was, an official release from the from Kiss, right? It's not like a bootleg or yeah, like yeah. That. It's not a bootleg. Yeah, it's an official release. Yeah, it has the Casablanca logo. Yep. Here, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, cool track list. You know, rock and roll night, obviously. Christine, sixteen. I want you. Got to choose. Flaming youth. Strutter. Hard Luck Woman, Shout It Out Loud, Hotter Than Hell, Love Theme from Kiss, which is the instrumental from the first album. That's kind kind of a weird one. Love Gun and then Room Service, Off Dress to Kill. 
so that's that's that album which is nice. kind of cool yeah i love that stuff really cool stuff and then in uh in 1980 they released an album called unmasked right right and in mexico they release a series of colored vinyl versions which is kind of cool so this is the the yellow vinyl there's a green vinyl version splatter vinyl very cool and the one i don't have that's super collectible i've never seen one is there's a supposedly a red vinyl version and that's mm. the one that's really hard to find so that one i don't have and that then rapid- last album that and that last album just a little detour in back in my baseball card collecting days uh the our local baseball card shop which was called collector's corner for some reason for a very short time they had these little uh, record pieces of gum. They were in the shape of a record. I don't know. Yes, chew bops, chew bops. And there was an unmasked one. So it was a little yes. vinyl. It was a little vinyl uh, record. You opened it. It was Kiss Unmasked. Yeah. And you would eat this vinyl, this circular vinyl shaped piece of gum. Yes. And that we and uh, they had uh, they had ACDC. Who yeah. Who they had? Uh, you know, those are the ones. And they had Judas Priest. Yeah. Um, and they had uh, um, Billy Joel. Kiss. Yeah, yeah, we bought a bunch of them. We were just, you know, crush eating those. They were selling for like 25 cents a piece. That's I, funny. I, I, That's like the only real promotion for Unmasked. I remember those Yeah, uh, vividly. Not, when you said that, I knew exactly. And yeah. uh, you, you would open them up, you know, eat that, chew that gum. And then the lyrics for Shandy, the single, were yeah, the sh- yep, yep. Probably the only yeah. song anyone's ever heard of, if they've heard of any of the songs on that album. Yeah, again, yeah, that's, Shandy, yeah. yeah, not their peak anymore. <laughs> I have the entire United States discography of the Beatles on yes. seal, still sealed on, yeah. um, in Chewbops. Really? Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. So we need to start. We need to start slabbing those guys. As soon as Butch said that, that as, as soon as this is over, there's a hundred percent chance you're hitting eBay and buying them. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you don't have I've them already, them before. I've definitely looked them up before, but I've never pulled the trigger. There's a rare yeah. one. They also did the Chew Bops in Germany, and in Germany they did Dynasty as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's a miniature cover of Dynasty with the censored logo, which they had in Germany, yep. right? They had yes, yeah, exactly. So I was actually just going to point out this because uh, this is a German Kiss Killers, and you'll notice that they don't allow Kiss to use the Kiss letters because it looks like you know the Stormtroopers, the SS right. from the Nazis, right? So in Germany. They all, uh, it says kiss, but it doesn't have the two, the two, uh, jagged S's yeah, in German, right. yeah, in German releases. They yeah. look like yes. backwards Z's. For, for right. Listeners can't see the yeah. picture, but instead, uh, they'll just, it just looks like the word, you know, it, it, everyone who's listening is probably familiar with the kiss logo. Um, right. but yeah, in Germany, they don't allow them to use that logo. Exactly. Right. And the Chewbops version, both versions, Unmasked and Dynasty, which they only had Dynasty over there for some reason, had that censored logo. Yeah, but uh, I'm I'm still looking for the Dynasty. I have an unmasked Chewbop still, mm-hmm. but uh, nice. I've, I've never found the Dynasty, <laughs> which is supposed to be collectible. Awesome. And then I thought my last one here I would show is is a modern pressing. So in 2014, Kiss's uh, catalog gets remastered for vinyl for the first time, and they they release this massive box set called Kisteria, and it's a reissue of all their albums uh, up to. Uh, 
what is the last sort of thing? I think Kiss Symphony is the last, and then this compilation called Greatest Kiss. So this was never released on vinyl, and uh, they have since done a colored vinyl run and a picture disc through the online store. But this is the black vinyl version, because in the box set, they re-released albums that you could buy separately, but they put six exclusives in them, which was Killers, Double Platinum, Greatest Kiss, You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best, Smashes and Thrashes and Hits, and the Kiss Symphony. Uh, most of those were Greatest Hits compilations, and then Symphony were put together. And you could only get those if you bought the box set. So Greatest Kiss, though, out of all of those, was the only one that never, back in the day, this was made in the 90s when the reunion happened, this was released as a compilation. And this is the only way you could get it on vinyl. So this is pretty collectible. This is separate from the box set. I have an extra copy, but it's Greatest Kiss. Um, it's a two, two LP thing. So, John, before we before we end, I have two kiss questions for you. Number one, um, growing up, did you assume that uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the of the Park was an Oscar winner like I did? Uh, <laughs> I just assumed that was like the greatest movie ever because we watched it a thousand times. And I remember oh, yeah. thinking, I remember my, I actually remember, I think my mom was watching the Academy Awards one year in like 1983. And I remember thinking, Gandhi, what is that? Like, where is Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park? Because <laughs> <laughs> we watched it all the time. Oh, man. So great. So I have this vague memory of it being on TV originally when I was a kid, right? And then yep. later later in the 80s, I'm a teenager. Then it would be like Friday night, late night movie or something that would, would run a couple of times. I saw it again in the late 80s, early 90s, and I saw the movie, and it wasn't like I remembered. You Go know, it, it was so <laughs> cool when I was a kid. I thought it was amazing, and I was like, God, this is terrible. This is like a bad $6 million man gone sideways oh, yeah. oh, or something. Yeah. It, was just, it, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't it, hold it up at all. It and they did it worse than, than Tommy, the, the rock opera. That, have you guys, oh, have you I think it, I think by far, I think by <laughs> oh, far. Man. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And then <laughs> they did a series of DVDs um, in 2007 called Kissology. And actually it was released theatrically overseas. Mm -hmm. And it has a different edit. It's got uh, a different soundtrack. It's got some songs from their solo albums. It's done a little bit differently. And they put that in that Kissology DVD. It's still horrible, but it's kind of a fun watch. You know, yeah. talk about taking you back to the 70s. If you watch right. that, it definitely takes you back. And so my other question is, uh, especially as someone who ended up getting into, you know, rock and, and, and alternative rock. Um, did you follow Kiss? And, and, you know, as a Kiss fan myself, I'm not ashamed to say that they were willing to uh, take advantage of any trend uh, possible, you know, with dynasty and they got, they got a little bit, uh, you know, crapped on for doing, yeah. going kind disco. of disco with, uh, yeah. but in uh, mid nineties, they did carnival of souls. Yeah. Which was an obvious attempt to right. take advantage of grunge music. Right. And then I believe it got, sidelined right it didn't did it not get released and then it got released later but i don't know yes. if you're a carnival of souls fan or what your thought of carnival of souls which was their attempt to do grunge essentially yes yes so i've got this great story so the the second nixon's album with mca is done by a producer named toby wright and toby wright did allison chain's jar of flies and he did produce carnival of souls um 
And um, was that the name? Yeah, it's, yeah, Carnival of Souls. Anyway, he sat me. He knew I was a huge Kiss fan, and I was in the studio. We were just about to start tracking Nixon's, and he was like, I got something special for you. The rest of the world hadn't heard it yet. He puts in the CD and plays me the final mixes for this album. So they sat on the album for a year, year and a half. At, you know, the reunion happens, and then they finally put it out. But he played me all those tracks because he had produced it. And he knew I would be like, holy crap, you know, hate is the first song. I really like it. There's some things about it I really like. Like, for, you know, my singer for Seether, Sean, just can't stand Kiss. But I played him that album. I played him a couple. And he was like, this is pretty cool. He kind of liked yeah. it. So, I mean, again, I think that's what makes their career so interesting, man. The, just sort of the left turns they took at times, the different stuff they did. There's there's some good moments on that album. I actually I, I kind of like it. You know, cool. it's not up there with Kiss Alive for me. Yeah, but it's cool. it doesn't have the memories. It doesn't have the nostalgia. It doesn't have that connection. But it's not a bad album. Very cool. So while we're oh sorry while, while we were doing questions, I have a uh, one of my my who's a fake cousin. Uh, he, he married a girl from South Africa. His wife's from South Africa. Huge Steeler fans, so I mentioned that we may do a podcast with with you. And he he had a question. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, if you, uh, we can cut it out if you're, it's not a an offensive question. But uh, <laughs> it, it, his question is: How much of a challenge was it to go from the style of the Nixons to the style of Seether? So that was Corey Jacobson from Western oh, Island via that. Durban. Question. I like that. You know, it really wasn't that hard. I mean, Seether obviously is a bit heavier at times, and uh, I'm a hard rock guy. I mean, you, you know, so it, it, it kind of felt natural. But there's a lot of things. Um, there's similarities in there, too. Um, and so I played the way I play with both. I didn't really have to adapt or 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 anything, you know. Um, I, I kind of play the way I play uh with both bands and um you know because there were at times they weren't the popular songs for the nixons there were a punk element there was a hard rock thing that uh, you know similar to seether but again seether's heavier at times but um there's a lot of similarities too so really it's not that much different i kind of play the same i play the way i play with both bands if that makes any cool. sense cool thanks cool. so it looks like april so it looks like april 27th um, Seether and Stained are up here. We're in Rhode Island, and it looks like you guys are in Worcester, Mass. Oh, okay. I just cool. looked it up. And uh, so we'll have to get uh, Corey J to, I'm sure he'll end up going to that also as a huge, <laughs> and I, I, I I'll probably take my son. I've been, he's a, he wants to be a rock star. He's, you know, from a personally um, biased opinion of myself, he, I think he's insanely, you know, uh, obsessed with it and good and he practices awesome. 10 hours a day but we're going to every concert we can we can go to so we'll yeah well let me know up. well we got to meet up yeah for i sure. mean he would be thrilled be absolutely yeah um, we did yeah we sure. did actually uh this is for some somehow we always bring up my bachelor party in cleveland every single episode <laughs> but uh, we, we went to uh we went to cleveland in 2008 for my stag party and one of the wild and crazy things we did in cleveland was go to a rib barbecue festival and see there was actually the, the headlining band at the festival really and, and then, yeah. yeah 
at the at the rib festival. So we we saw them. I had the ticket stub. I, I meant to go get it before the podcast. I've got to get it. I save every ticket stub I've basically ever had. Um, wow. But yeah, it's the rib festival in Cleveland. You probably don't even remember the show. It was a uh, a rib festival in Cleveland in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Wow. Yeah. 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 If you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a bachelor party and you really fire it up, you go to Cleveland, and that's yeah. Cool. You hit, you that's hit the rib fest in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> And the I know stories. we toured the Midwest so much. I mean, you know, so Ohio, that, that doesn't surprise me. That's, you know, yeah. I mean, we play Ohio, tour Ohio a lot. We um, we That's try awesome. to write our podcasts somehow to connect to Paul's <laughs> bachelor, bachelor party. party. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Um, we succeeded so, again. Uh, John, we do uh, – um, uh, actually, Drew, I didn't mean to cut you off because I think you might have just been going into this. Uh, for every, our goal is to make the VMG 100. So, which is, you know, 100 albums that we think um, everybody who wants to have the most epic record collection uh, should have. So, we'd like to pick one. Okay. It might not be the most valuable. It might not right. be the rarest, but it it should have you know some combination of um, value, uh, you know, cultural significance. Um, shouldn't be something that's a one of one, but also might be something that's really hard to find. Might not right. be. If you had right. one Kiss album that you thought someone should own, if they were putting together, you know, the 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 perfect vinyl uh, record collection, what do you think they should have? Before before you answer, John, should okay. we should we go around the horn a little bit and let John be the the? Yeah, the, why don't we do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. Chad, why don't you All go right. first? So originally, I was going to come in with their debut album because I had a the, without kissing time, and but after hearing about the um, the double platinum Australian version, yeah, that that to me that that's going to be my pick. It, it's it's attainable, but still, uh, it was pulled, so it's rare. It's got a yeah. different cover. Yeah, uh, th- that one's my pick. Paul? Yeah, my original one too is also the original Kiss with the without the Kiss Me on it because I Black Diamonds one of my you know favorite songs on there. Uh, but since we're not really leaning towards that, the other one I had was Love Gun with the Pop Gun in it, the the, the intact Pop Gun, which is kind of hard to find and get in good yeah. shape. Yeah, yeah, my uh, I was and, and admittedly it's biased. I was leaning towards Kiss Alive too, only because. I think the combination of it being such an important album for them, as well as the amount of stuff that they put in it, the tattoos, the booklet, I thought it was kind of the, everything that Kiss ended up, you know, from a vinyl standpoint, it was everything they kind of were remembered for or famous for at that time. A whole bunch of inserts, a live album that, you know, blew away, um, you know, listeners and and made them even more famous. Alive obviously put them secured their spot on the map, and then Alive Two kind of double secured it. But the amount of stuff that they added to Alive Two, I just thought it was so Kiss. Yeah. I almost considered um, Gene Simmons' solo album because it is the rookie card of Peg Bundy, Katie Seagal. Oh, actually, <laughs> a backup. Yeah, yeah. she's actually a backup singer on Gene Simmons's album. And I don't know I, if anyone has a Katie Seagal rookie, you know, collection going on, but she is a backup singer on that album. 
a friend of mine, she signed a copy of Gene Simmons' solo album for me. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they oh, went to meet her, amazing. and I had her sign a copy. Yeah, absolutely. A huge Magic Very Children cool. fan, personally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drew? Um, I like the Kiss, 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 Kiss um, African South African release. Oh, it has the alternate yeah. front cover. That's an awesome one. Do you have one of those? Yeah. I. That's a great one. They're not necessarily on the right. But I think that they are relatively accessible. Yeah. But I love alternate artwork. Yeah, that's it. Oh, yep. Yeah, sweet. That's the one. So yeah, sort of the best Very of the solo cool. albums, right? Oh, sweet. That's and, yes. uh -huh. yeah, it was kind of cool, right? We didn't have that in the United States. And there's another cool one with an alternate cover. So in France, the best of the solos look like that. Yeah. Oh, very cool. cool. Yeah, it's very kind of cool. a cool one too. Yeah. So cool thing about the solos, they had a, you know, they they had a little poster inside that connected to each other. So you yeah. could make a four right. man poster if you bought all four albums. They were just so man, they nobody marketed like they did. So those posters you you talked about, you know, that's this cover from Argentina, that's you know taken from those four posters uh, that, yeah, you know, yeah. that interlocked, you know, that were part right. of those solo albums. So Very cool. yeah, that's kind of a cool alternate alternate cover for that. Yeah, but so this I is tough. Yeah, I was I, I didn't want that to be my final one though. I would probably have to say the Alive 2 misprint would be the one that's most accessible but very cool uh to have um to look out for. That would be yeah, my vote. Yeah. Ahead, Those are my ahead. it's so hard, man. Those are my top three, right? It's the Alive 2 misprint I looked for forever. I feel like the first album, white label promo, it's not uber rare, but it's you know highly sought after. And they didn't do very many white labels in their catalog. And I love white labels in that first one. I mean, I think that's probably my pick. I mean, yeah, the Australian cover is, is very cool too. Mm -hmm. Man, it's tough. I mean, I guess I'm going to go with uh, the first album, white label promo. All right. Cool. I like nice. that. Cool. So is that, is that uh, available enough? that people will see that pop up on Discogs or pop up on, um, on Yeah, eBay I mean, seriously, if you looked at eBay, I bet there's one right now. I mean, okay. it's really, there's, yeah, it's it's fairly attainable, but it'll be, it, depending on condition, it won't be cheap. Yo, yo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't expect it to be. Yeah. Very cool. Right. Well, John, yeah. it was a pleasure having you on the show, and I have a feeling yeah, it's probably you. not going to be the only time. Um, you're a wealth of knowledge and a lot of fun to talk to, um, and um, you love records, so you're welcome yeah. back anytime. Thank yeah, you. I had a blast. It was great. Yeah, that was fun. awesome. So much. Yeah, best hour and a half. Enjoy talking to you guys. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'd like thank to you thank you very much. Yeah, and we'd like to also thank uh, Jake Harwood for the intro and outro music of the podcast. Um, and this is episode 10 of Vintage Media Grading, the podcast signing off.